KFI AM 640. It is Sunday afternoon, and you have your Dr. Wendy Walsh with you to talk about everything, everything human behavior, our relationships with each other, our relationships with perhaps our governments, our relationships with food. Oh, my gosh, so much to talk about. Later in the show, I've got a neuroscientist on who's going to talk about uh, our DNA and how, depending who we are attracted to, Based on our DNA, you can actually predict whether you're going to have a long-term relationship. I know that's a big one. And uh, if you are a serial pair bonder, <laughs> I like to call myself that lately. I'm just a serial pair bonder. Uh, I'll explain what that is, and I will pull you off the guilt train if you think you're, like, failed because you're divorced or something. Um, but first, so Friday night... Our government, along with France and the U.K., strategically attacked Syrian government military targets in Damascus and Hamas. And these apparently were chemical weapons facilities. There is some debate about who caused the chemical attack earlier in the week, whether it was the uh, current regime that we don't like or whether it was someone else, Russia. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, so we, uh, we bombed some stuff on Friday night. And if you're sitting in your living room, your car in America, it's a headline on the news. It's something far away. If you're an activist, maybe you care a little bit and did a little bit of reading and got upset or not upset or cheered or booed, but it didn't have a human Peace for me. I mean, obviously, when we saw the footage of children being burned by chemicals, yeah, that had a human piece. But it was far away, right? And then Saturday morning, because as Amy King just told us, our taxes are due very soon, my bookkeeper came over and uh, to get all my paperwork. And as he was there, he picked up, like me, I have, we both have the same big iPhone 7, so the screen might as well be a big screen, flat screen in your eyes. And I said, the first thing I said is, Farhan, did we bomb your country last night? And he said, yes. And he said, look. And he opened up his phone. And there was well-shot, brightly lit footage shot by his brother of the Americans bombing just one mile from his brother's house. And all of a sudden, I was like, whoa, this is real. So then I asked the dumb American question, well, can't you bring your brother here? And he's like, yeah, my families have been on the list for seven years, but you have to wait 12 years. So maybe in five more years. I know. It suddenly became real. You know, he showed me his iPhone, just like, you know, one of our friends would hand us the iPhone and go, oh, look where I went today. I was at Coachella. Check this out. And if you didn't hear about Beyonce at Coachella, apparently she killed. Uh, not in the way they did in Syria. But, um, but those, that's how it felt. As a friend, a colleague, someone I know, hands me his iPhone. Look at, my brother, look at the video my brother sent me. And you're seeing the American bombs landing. And you're seeing the, uh, the, actually, the Syrians were also attacking back and trying to hit the missiles out of the air. And interesting enough, he, there was a lot of cheering in the background. And he said the cheering... Is not, I go, oh, they were cheering the Americans coming in? <laughs> like it's World War II, D-Day, yay! He's like, no, no, no. They were cheering that the Syrian anti-missiles were hitting and stopping the Americans. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I never know what's... I really feel like I'm in George Orwell's 1984. I'm like, who are we at war with now? What side are we supposed to be on now? Do we trust the news? Is it fake news? I literally feel like that. Um so then this morning, I love my Sunday morning television. Love my There is this moment, because, you know, I'm of a certain age, and I get up so early every single morning during the week, I cannot sleep in. So if you're like me, you roll over on Sunday morning at 6.30 and go, I'm not going to get out of bed yet. I'm going to get a cup of coffee. I'm going to stay in bed and pretend I slept in. And I turn on usually CBS Sunday morning, which I love that slow journalism. And then I go through, you know, Face the Nation and Fareed Zakaria and cruise around the Sunday morning shows and uh landed on madeline albright yeah i cannot wait to read her book by the way uh just as a woman um her book is called fascism 
A Warning by Madeline Albright. And she is on quite a hefty book tour. She's on every channel everywhere now. She is, as you know, um, our former Secretary of State, former UN ambassador and Secretary of State. Uh, she was a toddler when Nazi troops invaded Czechoslovakia, where she was born, and her family fled to London. Later, she learned that she lost 26 family members in the Holocaust. And I want you to listen closely to this woman. This is like a wise elder in the village. And she is sharp. She is quick. When I think it was Fareed Zakaria or Jack, Jake Tapper, somebody asked her. I, was, I watched her on a few things. That woman was busy this morning. Um, when someone asked her, why are you doing this? And she said, you know, to be honest, I'm in my 80s. I have seen so much. I am seeing these regimes in the early stages of awful things that I have seen in the past. And you have to have an other. You have to be mad at somebody else. And right now it appears to be immigrants, right? And she's, she actually said something I really like to hear. She said, I didn't have a serious job till I was 55. Wow. But in the last 30 years, she's made up for it. So she said, I'm going to keep talking until I die because I need to warn people about what's going on. So uh, as you may know, last week on April 8th, um, Hungary voted in again. I don't know what kind of democratic election it was. Their Hungarian leader, who's very right-wing, and as you know, I was there the day before the election. I say you know. Like, all you do is sit here every single Sunday from 4 to 6 and listen to me. But I always feel bad if I'm, like, repeating myself because I'm like, well, what if they just heard? And then they're like, she didn't even say, like, she already told us that. Um, Okay, so if you don't know, I was in uh, Sweden and then I was in uh, Budapest, visiting my daughter who's studying abroad. And when we're in Budapest, here's how it affected me. One, there are billboards everywhere, anti-immigration billboards showing like seas of people walking towards borders and huge stop signs over them. There were also pushback billboards with uh, our own George Soros uh, trying to get backing for other candidates in the election uh, and save democracy. But how it affected me is I checked into a very chic Airbnb apartment in a beautiful old, old building, but decorated modern. It was really cool. And on the kitchen table was a note from my Airbnb host that said, um, I'm so sorry. I get a big fine from the government if you do not fill out this form in detail. I must submit this form handwritten for everybody who stays here. And I look at the form and they want to know my name, my place of birth, my birth date, my social security number, the country I'm a citizen of. I'm like, wow, they're already counting people. Who's coming in? Who's doing what? It was actually very creepy to have to fill out all this very personal information and leave it on a table, which of course I did because like it's a young girl host and I don't want her to get fined, right? (sighs) Okay, so Syria, as we know, has been a place of unrest for a very long time, since 2002. And the question is, who is bringing in Syrian immigrants? Well, when I was in Sweden, um, I, I, I told you last week, and if you didn't hear me, I think it's a perfect culture. I swear. Everybody has a job. There's no cash anymore in the economy. There's free health care, free education. If you go to school full time, you get a stipend. So you get money just for showing up. Uh, if you uh, don't have a job, they give you a job with a nice uniform. Uh, and it, it just is... So many great social services and such a wonderful country. Uh, 18 months paid parental leave for either parent. Actually, it has to be both parents have to take some of it. So they're kind of legislating fatherhood. You see lots of guys and babies. But I was actually at, at dinner last night at a friend's house for my book group. And she is from Sweden. And she mentioned that she thinks that most of the Swedes are talking about now how it's a pretty homogeneous place. And they have a very open heart, and they took in a lot of Syrian refugees, and it's kind of burdening this very expensive system they have. So they're having to make sense of it now. Um, But listen to this. Since 2014, Sweden has welcomed... Sweden's a country of only 10 million people, okay? What are we? Are we 300 million now? Over 300 million? Okay. So, Joey, tell me how many people are we? We keep having babies because we love having sex. That's what we do. Um, And... uh, 325 million people. So Sweden only has 10 million people. They've taken in 165,000 asylum seekers, uh, more per capita than any European nation. Canada, 
my uh, home country before I proudly became an American here, uh, has welcomed 48,000 Syrian refugees into their country. Canada has about 35 million people. Germany, uh, of course, opened up the most. 300,000 refugees are in Germany. France, 30,000. In the USA? Huh. Look at that. All going all the way back to 2002, only 21,000 Syrian refugees have been admitted to the United States. Huh. In the last years of the Obama administration, the U.S. settled tens of thousands of Syrian refugees. Huh. But this year, since Trump's been in, hmm. 11. We've let in 11. Can we open our hearts, please? Can we open our hearts? Let's talk about uh, love when we get back and the gender debate. This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Amy King's got the news. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. Can you do me a favor? And follow me on Instagram today. <laughs> and let me explain why. This is an act of love. You know, I, ha- I don't know if you remember, but uh, last fall I had my 24-year-old nephew staying with me. He's an EDM DJ. I don't know what that means. But uh, he makes something called trap music. Joey, do you know what that means? Trap music? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Brian, our board op, he's really into the trap music. It's uh, like the kind of hot new uh, hip-hop thing. Yeah. I see head shaking in oh. the board. Oh, he, he doesn't like it. Oh, <laughs> no, okay. I'm, I'm, anyway. I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> no, but it's uh, yeah, the new like hip-hop kind of music. So Yeah, it, it sounds just like noise to me. But anyway, he would, he'd be like... He would call me. He'd sit there with a headset on all day at my dining room table with a computer. And after like eight hours of sitting on his butt and not really moving, he'd go, he'd unplug me, he'd go, Aunt Wendy, have a listen. And he'd play this noise that would go on for a period of time. And then there would be like a beat of silence. And then some more noise would start. And I would say, sick drop. And he'd go, right, you're right, isn't it? And he put his headset back on, and so I knew what to do. Uh, Anyway, so he and I have a funny little uh, spirited, fun competition for Instagram followers. And I haven't been paying attention to it lately, but I happened to look him up today on Instagram, and he's he's chasing my butt. He's just 30 followers behind me. And I need to get 95 followers to get up to 3,000 to really go nah, 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 nah to him. Okay, so come on. I'm on air for an hour and a half. I'm going to announce it every time. Just go to Instagram, Dr. Wendy Walsh, Dr. Wendy Walsh. Let's get 90, 95 measly flyer, flyers, followers. I know. Listen, when I go to those Lyftique events, there are hundreds of KFI listeners that show up. So I don't know if they're the listeners who use Instagram, but, <laughs> uh, but you know what? Just try it. All right. Speaking of cool things uh, that people do besides EDM music and Instagram, this week I was invited to speak at a town hall event at a, you know, one of those corporate retreats for marketing executives and CEOs from big companies. And it was up at, uh, in Ojai, at that, is it called the Ojai Inn and Spa? Beautiful place, by the way. I always hear about it, and I thought it was more hippie than it is, but it's actually quite beautiful. It's not a commercial for them, but I just thought of myself, maybe I should go there for my birthday or something, do a little spa action. Um, Anyway, so I didn't know what this thing was, except they had invited me because they were going to do a town hall on Me Too and how to make workplaces safer for both genders. And uh, we also invited my colleague, Josh Levs. I've had him on the show a few times who talks a lot about the gender. His book is called All In, and he talks about gender equity. And, of course, I was invited because of my no claim against Fox News that somehow put me in the center and the beginning of the Me Too story and honored me by making me one of Time Magazine's Persons of the Year this year. So it's a funny little title I walk around with. I'm like, I'm a mom, I'm a professor, I'm a landlady, and oh, I'm Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Uh, (laughs) It's really weird. It doesn't change your life. You still got to fold your laundry, do your groceries, clean the kitchen. Nothing really changes except that. So we go to this town hall. And there were a lot of CEOs, a lot of marketing executives. Uh, the other woman sitting on the panel with me was the one running Ryan Seacrest's company. She was so interesting. She's like, we got 15 shows on the air. I'm like, you have such a cool job. Um, and then there was a, a representative from Uber, from Facebook, um, L'Oreal, Shell. I mean, so many interesting companies and interesting people. And they're basically leaders trying to figure out what to do with the Me Too movement as it pertains to 
to their companies. And obviously we talked about things like make sure employees know the law, the two kinds of sexual harassment that's out there. And Josh Levs talked about having making sure that you benefit both genders. And because he had a very famous lawsuit against Time Warner when he was at CNN, um, you know, suing to be able to take the same amount of time to take care of his babies, to take paternity leave, right? And so we should stop calling it maternity leave or paternity leave and call it parental leave and let both genders take it. So anyway, um, it was a very interesting meeting. I'm glad that I could weigh on, in on it. I just want to close with one thing that came out of the meeting. There was a executive recruiter there, and someone said, is it true that men don't want to hire women now because they don't want to be alone in a, in a room with a woman because they're so worried? And this executive recruiter shook her head, and she was like, are you kidding? It's the opposite. Everybody wants two women or more on their board right now, and they're scrambling to hire high-qualified women, and there aren't enough. So it's a good time to be a woman in the higher ranks. You'll get promoted. Uh, when we come back, what is a serial pair bonder? It may be you. This is the Dr. Wendy Wells Show on KFI AM 640. Amy King's got the news. KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. Just reminding you, if you are an Instagram user, I am trying to whoop the butt of my uh, 24-year-old nephew who thinks he's the coolest guy in the world and have more followers than him. And he's on my butt with uh, only 30 followers less than me today. But I am going to, thanks to all my fabulous KFI listeners, get more. So go to Instagram, Dr. Wendy Walsh, just D-R Wendy Walsh. Thank you to the 38 new followers who came on during the commercial break. We are going to show that young whippersnapper. Okay, what are we talking about? Let's talk about relationships, shall we? So I was at my book group last night. I happened to have a fabulous book group that just started in 2018. At my New Year's Eve party, I run into this woman who's, she's a judge, a judge, no less, but she was a parent from my oldest daughter's high school. Our kids are now in college, and I invited her because I always liked her. And so... We're talking, and she goes, we have to find a way to stay in touch. But we're in such different industries, you know? So I said, she said, do you want to just set up a book group? And I'm like, sure. So the funniest thing, like, she invites her people, and they're all, like, uh, uh, like they're all lawyers or judges, all these women. And then on my side, they're all doctors. <laughs> there's, like, there was a urologist last night. There was a cardiologist. Uh, there's a friend of mine who owns a website on parenting who hosted at her beautiful house last night. It's, it's really funny putting all these women together. And uh, we're chatting and, you know, it digresses. It starts with talking about the book and eating fabulous food and drinking, drinking. That's a big part of our book group. And then it digresses into like one side of the room. Women are flipping through their phones and another. And I go over and two of them are all over Tinder. On the other side, the women are all over Match. I didn't know Match is like an app now, too. I've got to get myself up to speed on it. We got into conversations about relationships because that's women do what women do. And one woman was saying that, um, you know, she wants to have a relationship, but she thinks she has sex too fast and she meets guys as a grown woman, by the way. I know you're thinking I'm going to say she should know better. No, what I'm saying is she should have sex if she wants. I mean, time is running out. Come on. We don't have time. There's actually research that shows that the, the group of women who have the most sex aren't the young, hot women that you think. Mm-mm-mm. It tends to be women aged 27 to 46. Mm. Why, from evolutionary speaking, do these women report not only having more sexual intercourse, more sexual fantasies, and they're more willing than younger women to have casual sex, one-night stands? Because if you believe the evolutionary psychologist who wrote, did the study... They think that it's because um, it's harder and harder to get pregnant. You're not quite menopausal, and so you have fewer eggs. So the only way, you know, if it's all about survival of the fittest and we're here to procreate, then that's what that theory is about. But I think it's, there's a psychological piece, too. It's cultural permission. As I say to my friends all the time, we are much too old to have a reputation. So there you go. Um, but anyway, in this particular case, we ended up talking about attachment theory. And the truth is, she was having sex early so that she could dislike the person and break up with them and move on because it was actually intimacy that she feared. And, uh, okay, but hold on, hold uh, on, uh, hold on. Amy's weighing in. We're talking about relationships. Okay, but I thought that when women had sex too early, they got 
because of all the endorphins and all that Not stuff on one or two times. So the thing is, if a woman consistently has sex with the same guy over a long period of time, she will report, it's very common for her to report, feelings of love. Because her body's emitting oxytocin, the big human bonding cuddle hormone, and she's starting to feel feelings of love. But so, if you only do it a couple of times, you're good to go. Yep. Okay. Exactly. Good two, to know. Two, three times, and then you find something wrong with them. You focus on something wrong. And then we're talking about intimacy issues. And one of the questions she asked me is, do you think we just have too much romantic opportunity right now? So you don't have to do the work. And that is one theory. You know, historically in our hunter-gatherer past, in our entire lifespan, we never laid eyes on more than about 150 humans. And most of them were related to us. So if you did find a partner who was not your cousin or your brother, you were real excited. Back in the time of farming, when women were, you know, quarantined on a plot of land, it was much more difficult to find mates. So, yes, we're at a point where a new mate is a thumb swipe away. There are people who naturally, if they have a tendency towards fearing emotional intimacy, then they can just move along to the next thing. They can find something wrong with the partner. Now, I will say that people who have a secure attachment style feel good in relationships. They are couple people. They do better in relationships. They naturally tend to find each other. And there's not a darn thing wrong with that. However, I also challenge this idea that we are meant to meet someone early in life and stay with that person until the end of our days. Um, I was listening to a podcast last week with uh, my hero, Helen Fisher, social anthropologist, and she was called herself a serial pair bonder, meaning she didn't necessarily have intimacy issues, but we had, you know, she said, you know, the three kinds of relations. We have three loves in your life. Your first love is for sex. Your second love is for raising children. Your third love is for companionship. And that's a serial pair bonder. So we're not necessarily meant to be together until death do us part. It may be until divorce do us part. I personally think when you finish learning from each other, the relationship is over, right? If you're not stimulating each other and continuing to grow and learn, and you're like inbred psychologically, inbred dying inside with each other, then it's time to move on. Now, you know, if you got married in 1900 and you professed till death do us part, the average length of that marriage was 12 years. If you got married in 1990 and said till death do us part, average length was 12 years. So we don't stay together. It's, it's the rare people now that are staying together forever and ever and ever. Or we're just outliving the purpose of our relationships. And plenty of people, when they hit that empty nest time, have to talk about repurposing their relationship. If it's not about raising kids, what's it about now? What are your goals together? Um, now, I do want to say, even for serial pair bonders, that relationships are really good for your health. There is a lot of research out there to show that um, people live longer, have better health. And in fact, isolation is as bad for your health as smoking or obesity. But that's particular to men because women rarely are deeply isolated, right? Women form social bonds so much easier than men and keep their social networks for much longer. In fact, I look at the few nights of week that, uh, that I have, too, to be able to do anything social. And I'm always trying to pick and choose between my friends because I have so many. And they're not just light Hollywood air kiss friends. These are deep, intimate friends that I could say anything to. Or maybe I just have that relationship with everybody I meet. There's that. Um, but... I, I feel like I have so much social support. And a couple years ago, um, I actually put a blog up on my website, drwendywalsh.com, about an emergency room visit that I had two years ago, which you can all read about it if you go to drwendywalsh.com. But um, I had so many friends show up at that emergency room. I mean, literally, it was like they only allowed two guests in the room at once. And so they just kept switching out, and there must have been a party out in the waiting room somewhere. Um, so let us talk about serial pair bonders. Does that mean in every case that you have a fear of intimacy? Maybe not. Does that mean in every case that there's something wrong with you? Perhaps you didn't have the relationship to have children. No, 20% of women and men do not become parents because alloparents are needed also to raise the culture and increase intelligence. 
There's not any, especially woman out there, who does not have kids who would I, call, I would call child-free. There's somebody in her life she's taken care of, whether it's an elderly parent, whether it's her sister's kid she's helping with, whether it's running children's charities, whether she's you know running corporations that are helping kids in the culture and other parents survive and feed their kids, whatever. They're all helping in some way. So um, there are some things that bring us together, though, and there are reasons why we choose who we choose. When I come back, let's talk about why we choose the particular mates that we choose. This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Amy King's got the news. Oh, help me, please, doctor. I'm damaged. There's a pain where there once was a heart. KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. Okay, so I am really going to beat my nephew in this Instagram thing because I only need 30 more of you listeners to follow me on Instagram. I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm like prostituting myself like a millennial out here. (laughs) But thank you to the 66 people who have come on during the show. I'm going to thank a few of you personally. Here we go. Toya Blackshear, Chrissy Palatino, That Beer Guy, uh uh-huh, and Jensen, Michael Joseph, uh, let's see who else. Rebecca McDonald, Justin Gibson, Angela Sadler. I followed you because you're a professor. You know, right? Wendy, I'm, I'm, I'm like flipping through your followers here, uh-huh. or your new followers, and I think we've just about covered every single like race, gender, uh, you age, know, age uh, range, because I think you know the diversity that I'm seeing here is... It's Graciela like, Garcia. Yeah. I, uh, uh, Kathleen Dewitt, Jennifer Applegate. Yeah, it's weird. I, I Not weird at all. I love people. And I love Los Angeles. And I have a multiracial family. And I come from Canada and here. So I have two passports and I travel a lot and I'm open. And I just love people. And I just think we have so much in common as human beings. You know, we all want to feel loved. We want to feel respected. We want our lives to have some kind of meaning, some productivity. We want our children to have educational opportunities, clean food and water. Uh, You know, as parents, we care. And so uh, there is nobody that I don't have humanity in common with. I mean, I just love people. And I'm a curious person. Poor Uber drivers who have to drive with me. I'm the one <laughs> who asks a million questions. How long have you been here? So what else? Are you, are you studying something? What's your other job? I think you're an ICE agent <laughs> you or something kids? like that. <laughs> right. like <laughs> no, I'm just interested in people. And hey, it's not like I don't have social skills. If I am sitting beside you on the airplane and I do make a little kind of quiet, easy, small talk as we're easing into the flight and you give me a one word answer back, I, I can read that. Okay. I don't have autism. That wasn't an autism joke. I have a child on the spectrum, so I know uh, <laughs> I know how it can be when you're missing a kind of little social chip. But um, I can read signals, and I know when to not be curious and be respectful, and I know how to protect people's confidentiality too. But I love to chat, and I love to meet people. So there you go. So 30 more people, please, call, please follow me on Instagram, Dr. Wendy Walsh, just Dr. Wendy Walsh, in the next few minutes, and then I can go na-na-na-na-na to my 24-year-old nephew, EDM DJ. Okay, enough of that. Let's talk about why we choose who we choose in partners. Did you know it's not just like, oh, well, I think he's cute or I think she's hot. It really depends also on environment. So obviously partner availability is a big one. If you live in a rural area, you're going to be limited in how many partners or which partners you can select from. And so you're going to, if you grab somebody, you're going to stick to them because you know it'll be harder. Right? If you're in a um, big urban center, it might be a lot easier to meet a new partner. You might put a little less into your relationships because there might be a bigger, better deal out there. I'm not a proponent of this. I'm just telling you the science. Then there are certain cities where the gender distribution isn't fair to your particular gender. I know gender is a scale. It's fluid for the purpose of this short dissertation. <laughs> we'll just go with men and women. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry to everybody else. Um, so in New York, for instance, right now, there is an oversupply of single women, way more oversupply. And then there are other places where there are more men. 
I often say to single women near the end of their fertility window, if they're looking to, like, seriously, they want to become a mother and they want to get married and they want the traditional thing. I'm like, then what are you doing dating in Manhattan? You need to move to a red state, uh, get an apartment near a military base and park your butt in the back of a pew. Like, because you got to go where the fish are, the fish who are going to bite, right? Because that's where you're going to meet people who are like-minded. Um, the other thing is people find mates who match their mate status. Now, this is the result of a study that was done on more than 10,000 people in 33 countries by Dr. David Buss and his group at uh, the University of Texas, Austin, who study human mating strategies. And they found that cross-culturally, all humans, all men, when they're looking for a woman, they look for youth and beauty first. Even if they're looking for a 50-year-old woman, they look for the 50-year-old who looks the youngest and the most beautiful, right? Because that indicates fertility. That's why they look for a wide hip-to-waist ratio, right? Because you're looking at, uh, you know, if you're before adolescence, you're kind of straight up and down in the body. And then uh, after menopause, you go a little straight up and down again. (laughs) Funny that. Uh, But in between, you get curves. So it indicates fertility. And then right behind that for men, though, is loyalty. Because it doesn't matter if they have the hottest supermodel in the world. If she's sharing the goods with everybody else, they could end up raising another guy's genes. And finally, men look for kindness. Because it doesn't matter if she's super beautiful and she's stuck like glue to him if she's a biatch and hard to live with, right? Now, women, on the other hand, here's what they look for when they look for a man. First of all, first and foremost, hold your hands up, ladies. Be proud. We are all gold diggers. Yes, we look for resource potential first. Because during the vulnerable years of pregnancy and nursing, you sometimes needed a guy to step up historically. So it's in our veins. Tell me, when you meet a new guy and you go tell your girlfriends, what is the first thing they ask? What does he do? What's his job? Where does he work? Do you think they care because he'll look good in a certain uniform? No. They want to know what paycheck is attached to him. Okay, secondly, we look for intelligence. Because if there is a bad season, back in our anthropological past, no woolly mammoth, no nothing growing and we had to move to a new place, a stock market crash, he better be smart enough to figure out another way to pay the bills. All right? And then finally, kindness. Again, it doesn't matter if you have a rich guy who's super smart, if he's a domestic violence offender, right? So now things are changing because gender roles have changed. We actually have more women in the American workforce than men. And we have an oversupply of educated, successful women. So women are having to adjust what they're looking for in a mate. You know, sociologists call it the George Clooney effect. The more education and the more money a woman makes, the more she wants a partner who makes more. And has more education. Well, guess what? It's a dwindling little group of men there, okay? So maybe your idea of a power guy should be a guy who can power a stroller. Just saying. All right, when we come back, I want to talk about how your pheromones also create who you're attracted to or not. And I'm going to have a neuroscientist on from instantchemistry.com to explain our immune system response. You're listening to The Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Follow me on Instagram right now, right now, right now, Dr. Wendy Walsh. KFI AM 640, Dr. Wendy Walsh here. Thank you so much. I have, I beat my nephew. I have more Instagram followers than him. Uh, Maury Kez, Roy Nagasagwa. Did I say that right? Nancy Kennedy, David Abril, Mark Cohen. Thank you, thank you. Christina, Diet Doctors, Vaughn, Adrian. I can't say them all, you guys. Linda, Harner, John Brooks, uh, Charles Rosales, uh, Bill Kaneko, Ines Casey Photography. Oh, there we go. A little ad for you uh, for art's sake. Uh, Karina, Bayarbi, and it keeps going on. Thank you, thank you. I'll read a few every segment. So if you want to follow me on Instagram, Dr. Wendy Walsh, that'd be nice. Okay, so I mentioned that when we get attracted to people, we sometimes get attracted based on our immune system response. And so I want to invite on a guest now who can explain it maybe better than me because, like, she's a neuroscientist and I just have a PhD in clinical psychology. Dr. Sarah Seabrook is the... Chief Science Officer of InstantChemistry.com. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Wendy. How are you? Good. So uh, we should tell everybody that you and I know each other. You are in Toronto. We're both Canadian. And I am proud to say that I, uh, I do some work with your group as a spokesperson from time to time. Uh, yeah. Because I believe in it. I really believe in it. So how do you, uh, how do you explain 
that immune systems tell people to uh, be into each other? Yeah, so there's some some genes in our immune system that are very, very diverse around the population. They're actually the most diverse genes in all of our genome. Um, And so these genes contribute to basically identifying pathogens, diseases in our body to help protect us from getting sick. Um, And so the interesting part about this is that if you were to have... um, two people come together who have very different immune system genes from each other and they were to have a child, the child gets some of the immune system genes from mom and some of the immune system genes from dad, and they get different ones because mom and dad have different genes. And so this child, the more diverse their genes are, the more likely they are to actually be able to defend off pathogens in the environment. And this Um, is unlike other genes. For instance, if you mate with somebody, you might take brown eyes from one, blue eyes from another, brown hair from another, long legs from another, except immune systems combine and make a stronger human. Yes, so they're combining, so they're coming together, they're working together, and they're creating a a strong, very diverse set of immune system genes to help that child survive better in the population when it's exposed to different pathogens out there. So what Um, does this have to do with human mate selection? Right. So if you can imagine, you are looking for someone, you don't necessarily have to have a child with them, but your body is looking for someone who would potentially have a child with them that's going to do better at surviving. So when you're looking for a mate, you're looking for someone who has different immune system genes from yourself. And the way that you do that is actually through scent or body odor. So the better that somebody smells to you, the more likely they are to have different immune system genes from yourself. Um, and and, and doesn't this of, work better with women, like we're the ones doing the mate selection and we pick up the scent? Yes. So it's, the result is actually much stronger for women. Scent is very, very important for women. And it has actually been shown that scent is as important as appearance, as physical appearance in oh, attraction. Let me tell you, I am not embarrassed to tell you that I literally choose my mates based on the smell. I am not, I'm not joking. Like I just take a big old whiff in and mm, love that smell. I love that man smell. (laughs) Yeah, no, if they smell bad, definitely. That is a very big turnoff for women if the man smells bad to them. And part of that is this mate attraction related to their immune system. So what about uh, the like perfume industry? Does it really, can they create scents that men could put on that women would respond to even though they shouldn't because their immune systems aren't compatible? Well, what we're actually finding is, I mean, this is that's sort of a two, two-fold answer, is that men will actually pick smells that sort of augment their natural uh, body odor. So they're picking something to make them smell even better. Um, but the other, the other aspect of that is once you're in a relationship with them, you're going to be with them after they've showered. You're going to be with them in lots of situations where they're not wearing that cologne or they're not wearing that. You perfume. have lots so of time be- to break up with them. <laughs> yeah, you're going to experience their real body odor for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, so one of the things that you guys do at instachemistry.com is people can actually uh, go to the website and you will send them a testing kit. Like, let's say they met somebody, uh, maybe it's somebody like in another city that they met online or something, and they have talked to them, they've seen them on a screen, they're really into them, maybe they have Skype dates, but they haven't actually smelled them <laughs> Could they take a DNA test and be able to predict if they're going to be compatible, not just sexually? Oh, we forgot to add, people with disparate immune systems like that have better sex, right? And it lasts longer? Yes. Yes, they do. They have better sex. When I say last longer, I don't mean in one session. I mean that, uh, (laughs) (laughs) well, we all know that the hot sex drops off after a little while, right? After a few months, years, whatever it may be for each couple is different. But it tends to, the hot sex life tends to be longer lived if you have disparate immune systems. Yes, it does. And yes, we do test for that. We test for genes of the HLA. These immune system genes are called HLA. We test for them and you get a score based on how different you are from your partner. And the more different you are, the higher the score, the more likely there is that physical attraction. Interesting. Now, you also send them a psychological kit and you also look at other genes because I'm, as much as I'm interested in the sexy smelling genes, I'm also interested in the serotonin uh, that tells what kind of fighter they're going to be or not. Can you explain about that? 
Yeah, so we actually, we look at other genes. Um, we look at ones that are involved with serotonin. And so serotonin is related to a stress response. It's related to how strongly you respond emotionally in different situations in your life. And so you can have people who respond very strongly, whether it's bad or good, and you can have people who are more level-headed in all situations. They kind of ride the wave. And what they've actually found in the research is they looked at married couples over 13 years, and they found that if you have two people who are both very strongly emotionally responsive to bad and good, that your emotional or your, your relationship satisfaction actually starts to go down over the long period of time. Um, so, do they have a higher you, divorce were, rate? Um, I don't know if they actually have a higher divorce rate, but they have a decreasing satisfaction in that relationship, which could lead to divorce over time. Right. So they're just unhappy, is what it is, right? So yeah, I like yeah. to think of it as you know how some people are just kind of even keeled. Right. You know, these people that just like when stressors come up, they're like, yeah, we'll solve this problem. We got this. Well, that person can usually pair fairly well, obviously, with another even keeled person. I will go so far as to guess, take a giant guess, Dr. Sarah Seabrook, that your relationship with your husband is like that. He seems very even keeled. (laughs) We actually. Yes, we are. We both Uh are are the more. Yeah. Even keeled. I don't need to look at the DNA. I've seen the two of you interact and I know you're both. I'm like, oh, imagine having those smooth, easy relationships. And then, um, but then that even keeled person could meet somebody who's very exciting to them. Who's the one who's really, you know, uh, dramatic and histrionic and has up and down mood swings. And that straight and narrow person, if they're physically attracted, if the immune systems match could go, you know, knock yourself out, babe, I'm still here when you finish. And they still have good relationships, right? Yes. Yeah. So you want to, yeah, if you have a level-headed person with a more emotionally responsive one, that kind of level-headed person one can kind of bring that to the relationship and say, okay, let's talk about this, where the other person can sort of bring in a more of an excitement to the relationship because when things go really well, they do really, really well, and they can bring up the other person to a higher level of sort of pleasure and enjoyment. So, yeah, definitely. It's only it's only the two people that have the wide mood string swings that you don't want to get together with. Yeah, it, that can lead to more complications in the relationship because if they're both, you know, something bad happens, they're both like having a really rough time with it. And that can lead to conflict in the relationship. You know, they're both really upset, really angry, and they are having trouble getting through that. And they're kind of taking it out on each other. Mm, and then that kind of affects, yeah, it affects the relationship. Dr. Sarah Seabrook, always a pleasure to talk to you. If anyone listening wants to go to uh, instantchemistry.com and get your DNA tested for compatibility, you can do that. Thanks for being with us. How are the kids? They good? They're good. Yeah, they've got lots of energy. (laughs) Yeah, you've got little ones. Wait, it gets so much fun when they get older. All of a sudden, you have your house back and your life back. It's great. Anyway, give my love to Ron. We'll talk soon. Thanks for calling. All right, bye. Take care. Bye. When we come back... Can we talk about our relationship with food? Do you have guilt around food? There's a lot of psychology to how we eat, what we eat, when we eat, and who we eat with. You're listening to The Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Amy King has the news. KFI AM 40, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. Okay, now I'm feeling guilty. Can you follow my nephew too? I feel, I feel bad now. I thought I'd be, oh, he's a young whippersnapper, this EDM DJ on Instagram, and now I'm beating him in number of followers. And, you know, I'm the old auntie. He's the young guy. So his Instagram is called AWOL. See, it's short for Alex Walsh. Get it? AWOL. And I'm wrong. It's not trap. He does dubstep. So if you like dubstep, uh, follow AWOL. Let's give him a few. Anyway, thank you, everybody. We have now, uh, oh gosh, a total of 174 new followers since I've been doing the show. Daniel Oversim, Bill172, Michelle Tanchanko, did I say that right? Uh, Alisa Turitz, give me some more. Stephen H., Dr. Karen Wolf, oh, she's pretty. Uh, Maury Kies, uh, Nancy Kennedy, forgive the misspellings. Anyway, it goes on and on. Thank you all. Very sweet of you. All right, let's talk about what matters here food. <laughs> I, uh, food is weird. 
food is particularly weird in America because I think we Americans have a dysfunctional relationship with food. I mean, if you compare us to like the French, the Belgians, the Japanese, we certainly get less pleasure from food and we're always obsessed about whether it's healthy. And then we have so much guilt about eating the wrong thing. I mean, think of the French. Totally no hang-ups. They tend to enjoy their food the most, it is reported. Uh, No coincidence? They're actually way less obese than us. But there are a few other things that I want you to know about the psychology of food besides our attitude. There are some tricks out there tricking us. Um, We don't actually know when we're really full. It takes 20 minutes for the message to get from your stomach to your brain that you're full. And we are affected by the size of our plates, the serving spoons. If the serving spoons are bigger, you take more, you eat more. Uh, the size of the packets, etc. In fact, one study, they had participants eat out of a bowl of soup. But one group, their bowl of soup was secretly refilled from under the table. So as they, you know, I have friends. There are this one group of friends in London, actually. They used to live here, but they're in London. And I've, I've had dinner at their place in both places. And both times I've gotten so drunk that hmm. I had to cab it home. Because they kept refilling they the glass before it, it was empty. Off. Yep. And I said to the host, lovely man named Matt, Matt, why do I always have such a terrible hangover after I've been dinner dinner? And he said, It's his mother in law taught him. So I if my glass goes down by like half an inch, he fills it up again. Half an inch fills it up, and I can't count the glasses. So that's a problem. So the soup bowl thing, same thing happened. <laughs> And those eating out of the magically refilling bowl had almost twice as much soup, but felt no less hungry or no more full. So see, our brain's not even getting the message. So here's my tip. Force yourself to eat smaller packets and buy smaller packets of everything. You know, one year I did a home exchange in London. It was in the summer of 2013. And for one month, An English family lived in my house, and I lived in this English family's house. Let me tell you, when you live in Southern California, you can trade, like, anything near the beach for a giant Georgian manor in London. (laughs) So uh, I got the better end of that deal, trust me. But we also made a deal, the mom and I, that we would um, fill the fridge and cupboards full of food so that they'd only have to replace, you know, lettuce and fresh vegetables. And there was enough toilet paper and paper towels, so we didn't have to shop when we were over there. And I went to Costco, and they had the huge sizes of everything in my house. And they were laughing and taking pictures with these huge sizes. We get to their house, and it's like the little tiny jar of jam with like three ounces, the little mini bottle of Coke, and it was so cute. But yeah, if you buy smaller sizes, th- size things, you eat less. Shocking. Shocking, I know. We just stop eating when it's empty. You know, and it's so stupid, too, because like, even if your brain doesn't tell you you're full, you can see the amount of food you're eating. You, Doesn't matter. You just keep and going. You, but you just, I know. Just, you just keep, keep going. Go, you just keep, that's why I have got rid of noticed, big plates. I got small plates in my house well, now. Well, have you noticed in recent years, Ikea, probably in having to adapt to the Americans' tastes, has big dishes now. But when Ikea first started a zillion years ago, they were known for having these little European-sized dishes and cups and everything looked like a tiny... Coffee cups look like little espresso cups, practically. Mm -hmm. And then I noticed the big bowls, the big pasta bowls, the big serving, everything huge there. And they probably had to just catch up because the Americans weren't buying their dishes. Here's another thing about our psychology of food is that we have this idea that fat is bad. And I know I've talked about this on the show before, but this is a big problem for us because You know, for the last 30 years, our food industry is backwards. And it's telling us that if something's low fat, it must be good for us. Well, you know how you make something low fat taste good? You fill it full of sugar. So they often have more calories and the worst kind of calories, the calories that give you a sugar high and a sugar low and make you hungry again. Fats are really, really satiating. And not all fats are bad. In fact, some fats are really good, necessary parts of our diet. Hear me out. Evo, avo. Evo, extra virgin olive oil, avo, avocado oil, and pretty much any nut oil, nut fat. I eat nuts, nuts and seeds, nuts and seeds. Maybe we're meant to be birds. Um, Here's another thing. Did you know the size of the waitress serving you (laughs) decides how much you're going to eat? How much you're going to order or how much you're going to eat? Eat. Okay, so, well, they ordered more. You're right. People who uh, were dieting ate more food when encouraged to choose unhealthy snacks 
by an obese waitress <laughs> than when the waitress was thin. <laughs> you know, I think about it. You know, I don't go to McDonald's anymore, but I remember those days when my kids were small and you just had to get the odd Happy Meal. And uh, I do remember, like, seeing really obese people behind the counter sometimes and thinking to myself, well, it's not going to get that bad. One Happy Meal is not going to get that bad. Or, hey, it's kind of permission. On the flip side, there's a bakery in my neighborhood. I think they won on, like, Cupcake Wars or something. They're a famous little bakery in my neighborhood. And there is an employee there who, in my opinion, suffers from an eating disorder. She may just be ill, so forgive me if I'm speaking bad of you. But I, on first glance, I would suggest anorexia. And so she's trying to serve me these big baked goods, and I find myself buying smaller and smaller. It's weird, so I'm paying attention. Uh, I think you know this. Fat friends equals fat self. Yes. The... Our health habits are completely contagious, completely contagious among health groups. That's why it's really hard to lose weight if your spouse isn't on board with you because it's, you know, we do what we're meant to do and we catch it from each other and that gets to be the accepted thing. All right, when we come back, I'm going to continue this a little bit. And then if you're somebody who has a constant guilt about falling off the wagon, about eating unhealthy. I'm going to pull you off that guilt train when we come back. This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Amy King, you got the news for us. KFI AM 640, Dr. Wendy Walsh here. Thank you to all of you who have been following me on Instagram. You have one more chance to follow me on Instagram, which is now, <laughs> well, for the rest of the, no, you can follow me whenever you want. Dr. Wendy Walsh, just D.R. Wendy Walsh. And we have like, who else came on? Will Bowles, someone named Hunter, Karen Nichols, Diana Briggs, the Den Man, hmm. uh, Judy Jones. I like that name, Judy Jones. Uh, thank you for following me. And come on, more of you, come on come on over. All right, uh, we're talking about eating habits and some weird food psychology that you may not know about. You, I, This is one I think most people know, mindless eating. Studies have shown that people eat way more when they're distracted. So when you're watching TV or even talking to friends, uh, when you're not focusing on your food, you tend to eat more of it and you tend to get less enjoyment from it. Here's something that might sound counterintuitive to you. Did you know if you try to not think about your favorite foods, suppressing food thoughts, it actually leads to binging? And the reverse is true. There was research asking people that instead of eating a cookie, that they should be just imagining that cookie, swirling around the melting chocolate tip chips in their mouth, crunching on the delicious taste of it, feeling the sweet slime of that cookie slide down their throat. Well, guess what? If you do that, it actually takes away your craving for the cookie. But if you're saying, I can't think about it, I can't think about it, then when you do get that cookie, you binge, binge, binge. Um, people on diets who habitually try to suppress their thoughts about food are more likely to experience food cravings and are more prone to binge eating when they eat. All right. Uh, bad moods make you eat more bad stuff. No surprise there. It's because what happens when you eat carbohydrate that is not good for us is uh, you get a little bit of a sugar high for a minute. And so you're trying to make yourself feel better. On the other side, healthy foods can actually improve your mood. I mean, we know that people who eat more fruit and vegetables tend to be like happier, more satisfied with life. And the latest research says that eating fruit and vegetables every day can actually improve your mood. And they think it's because there are micronutrients like folates found in fruits and vegetables that help improve depression. Okay, final thought before I move on to getting off the guilt train if you're feeling guilty every time you eat the wrong thing. Small changes beat weird crash diets. Don't go on any kind of crazy diet. Make small, consistent, sustainable changes that you will have for the long term. That means the rest of your life. So these are the people that lose weight and keep weight off and the people whose blood work looks healthier. So I will admit to you that I do feel guilty about food, and weight has never been an issue for me. I'm sorry. You can get mad at me. I'm a natural ectomorph. I've always been tall and skinny. It's rarely been an issue. I had a minute 
like a couple of years ago where I gained 10 pounds. Woohoo, 10 pounds. I'm five for 10 and I'm skinny. So 10 pounds is like where to go. No one noticed except me. Um, and so I, uh, you know, then had, you can go to my website and read the whole story about what happened, drwendywelsh.com on my blog. Um, but I'm now in the hands of a cardiologist who literally makes prayer hands at me saying, please don't eat any sugar. Don't eat any carbohydrate. Don't please. She prays. When you see a cardiologist, not looking at her chart, but praying for you. Remember, both my parents died around my age, and we think we found the gene to combat it. But anyway, so on uh, last night at my book group, it was great. You know, we had 10 ladies there, and the first part of it went fine. There was some appetizers that I could eat around the carbs, um, and then there was like a salmon dish that was good. I left the rice to the side, and then a bunch of them brought dessert. And I haven't had dessert in ages. Well, no, actually, I did have a little when I was in Europe. Uh, Now I'm going to be honest. But prior to that, I hadn't had it in months. And I just don't have sugar. But all these, there were homemade stuff. And I felt so bad. Like, I felt like I didn't want to say, oh, no, I, I don't eat dessert. I'm one of those, right? And just been weird when somebody took the time to make something for me. So I did. And I felt really guilty because, you know, at least if I was going to have sugar, I should have had, like, a fat with it or a cup of milk or something. But no, no, I was still sipping my wine. So that's sugar, a glass of sugar and sugar, right? So I was feeling really guilty this morning and I got up and I had my regular grain-free granola that I make with seeds and nuts and put on a little yogurt and went, nope, no fruit on it this morning. Uh, But I felt bad. I felt really bad because I saw the prayer hands of my cardiologist and I wasn't following her prayers. So I know what it's like. And I also know people who battle weight, like my oldest daughter battles weight on a regular basis and her entire life is about Well, did I eat healthy? Did I do good? Oh, I ate something bad. I feel bad about myself. Her entire self-worth is based on her last meal. And this can be a terrible treadmill to be on, a terrible psychological struggle for people. So you're going to hear my advice, and you're going to be maybe a little bit amazed. If you want to reduce your guilt about eating a food, you have to eat that food in small amounts and frequently, not binging. But eventually you will disassociate the feeling of guilt because your brain is going to get bored. Also, I want you to have a list of mantras ready. When your thoughts become negative and you're beating up yourself, I need to hear you say things like, I'm in charge. Fear is not in charge of me. I'm learning how to eat a wide variety of foods to nourish my body. I will not feel guilty. I am in control. Also, how about this one? Food is fuel. It's not a moral issue. Um, You might want to redefine healthy eating too and think, stop about counting the damn calories. I don't count any calories, never have, never will. I only count carbs now. Because if you count carbs, I guarantee you'll lose weight. I do 25 grams of carb, no more than, maximum 25 grams of carb every meal. Now, I had a little, like I downloaded some app called Carb Manager and I count, so I figured out what carbs are and things. I guesstimate now. I don't like put it in an app. I used the app for one week and then went, okay, I got this. So I just kind of guesstimate, and I try not to eat too much. Um, I want you to look at the biggest, bigger picture. Don't judge yourself based on one meal, one snack, or one day. Look at your overall food patterns. It's part of a week. It's part of a month, okay? Give yourself the gift of stopping now. Chip away at the guilt. Don't make your self-esteem be based on your last meal. Literally, It causes the the binge purge. It causes the yo-yo. It causes so much, all right? Because I want you to be happy, and I want you to be healthy. And you'll do it if you have less guilt. All right, when we come back, um, I am still on Royal Wedding Watch. In fact, I just marked my calendar for May 19th. I've got more details about the Royal Wedding, because who doesn't love a good summer wedding, spring wedding? You're listening to The Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Amy King's got the news. Oh, help me, please, doctor, I'm damaged. There's a pain KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. Joey, did you just hand me this article that a robot is running for a mayor in Japan? That I did. <laughs> Could not believe it when I saw it. For residents of the painfully small West Tokyo area of Tama City, Tama Tama, Uh, There's been a recent storm of chatter surrounding the upcoming mayoral election. You see, if the current nominee, I don't know if I'll say it right, Michihito Matsuda happens to earn the most votes during this election, it would make the world's first AI artificial intelligence mayor. 
But who would be running the robot? Or is he all programmed to just vote randomly at city council meetings? Well, you know, you bring up a good point. I would think that there would be a company backing it in some way, but maybe it is so AI that it is a standalone deal that can make its own decisions and, and goals and things like that. Oh, my gosh. I think somebody did it for a stunt. Please say we're not there yet. Please. Okay, so even though there are more unmarried Americans than married Americans now, I still believe in the institution of marriage because we don't have enough social supports. Our government doesn't have, you know, child care in every workplace, doesn't have uh, food stamps for all, whatever. Uh, it's hard to raise kids. And when you have two incomes going into it and two people committed to the biological beings that come out of that union, you're just going to have better results, better, more successful kids, right? So marriage is kind of the best thing we have right now. And my opinion is until... We get better deals. And I've been a single mother 13 years. This is why I know. And you're like, well, if you're so about marriage, why didn't your daughter remarry? Because I read the statistics. I was raising two little girls. And I also read a terrifying statistic that one of the most dangerous places for a child to live in America is in a home with a non-biologically related male. Mommy's boyfriend, husband, older stepbrothers, whatever. Eight times the rate of Emotional abuse, physical abuse, and sexual abuse. And if you saw that, we recently watched that movie Boyhood, again, the one that took 12 years. Uh, is it Boyhood or The Boy? Boy, Yeah, Boyhood, I think it was called. It was nominated for an Academy Award. Uh, and you see the poor single struggling mother. This kid's life was just uprooted and ruined by all her choice of partners. So I didn't make that choice. And... Um, it, I won't lie, I'm not going to play victim because I'm very resilient, but it was a rough life and my heart goes out to single parents, male and female out there. So um, having said that, who doesn't like a good wedding, at least for the fashion? So as you know, if you don't know, I'm going to tell you, May 19th, 4 a.m. our time, PBS is going to be airing it, the Royal Wedding. In fact, PBS is going to start a Royal Wedding watch five days before the series will air May 14th to 17th, that one at 10 p.m. ET, so it's 7 o'clock our time, I guess. And uh, it's sort of the build-up to it. Now, if you don't know, we have a local reason for caring about this particular royal wedding in England because we got a local girl in it. That's right, Meghan Markle. She's the American actress best known for playing Rachel Zane in the long-running legal drama Suits, is marrying Prince Harry. Meghan Markle, Prince Harry. few interesting things is that she's uh, American, and she's biracial. I think her mom is black, her dad is white. And um, they met through a mutual friend and went on a five-day camping trip in Botswana to fall in love. Interesting. Do you think they had sex in that tent? I bet they did. They're young. Of course they did. Silly, silly me. Anyway, here's what you need to know. Are you invited? No. Uh, unless you're one of the 1,200 personal guests who get to sit in the chapel. Uh, there will also be 2,600 additional people uh, who, they're regular people who work for the charities, community organizations, and they get to watch from a stand on the grounds of Windsor, Windsor Castle. Uh, they'll watch the party enter and leave. The invitations have gone out. So if you didn't get yours, you weren't invited. <clears throat> March 22nd, they went out. They went out to 600 guests. Wait, if there's 1,200 guests, six, oh, you get to bring a guest, of course. They sent out 600 invitations. You get to bring somebody. Um, so who are these guests going to be? Well, obviously the guest list is going to be a complete secret. That's why we're all going to get up at four in the morning. I did. I set my iPhone with a thing for five minutes before four in the morning on May 19th with an alert. So it's going to beep and wake me up because I do want to see a little bit. Um, so obviously Harry's grandparents, Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip will be there. His father, stepmother, Prince Charles and Camilla, the Duchess of Cornwall, <clears throat> There'll be various cousins, Zara and Peter Phillips, the princesses, Eugenie and Beatrice, and of course his brother and sister-in-law, William and Kate, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation. Then there will be like royalty from the rest of Europe, right? Members of the royal families, countries like Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Greece. But there's been a lot of speculation about whether any state leaders will be invited. Specifically, you know who. Will Donald Trump be invited to the royal wedding? Or will Harry's pal, Barack Obama, and Michelle be invited? Oh, it's such a drama. 
I just don't know. Well, the recent announcement this week is they've decided to not invite any state leaders. Let's not even get into international faux pas. Even though the Obamas are good friends with them, apparently they're not invited and neither is Donald Trump. Is there a dress code? Yes. So if you're going, men are supposed to wear uniforms, if you have one. Morning coats? No, that's not the hoodie you walk out to get your newspaper in. Uh, Lounge suits? Hmm. I think that means business suits. Women are expected to wear day dresses. Those are dresses that are not an evening gown. And hats. Now, the hats are pretty amusing. I have a very wealthy friend, my best friend from childhood, who lives in Miami. If you go on my Instagram and scroll on down, Dr. Wendy Welsh, you will see pictures of me at her birthday party in the Bahamas. And someone brought crowns. And this is a girl who's a hat maker, brought the crowns for us to wear. But when they go to charity events, they wear the wildest hats. It is, it's silly, but maybe it's fun. You know, maybe it's just fun. But the hats sometimes uh, at the wedding you will see might resemble flying saucers, plant pots, teacups, hedges, bathing caps, you name it. Um, there are going to be lots of crazy hats. Also, if you want to see um, the happy couple, Megan and Harry, right after they announced their engagement, I have put the interview, the BBC interview with them, on my webpage on the KFI site, right? So go to kfiam640.com, keyword Wendy or Dr. Wendy, and you'll find it so you can watch it for your viewing pleasure. Thank you for being with me. I am here every Wednesday in the 1 o'clock hour with Gary and Shannon. Is she back from Thailand yet? Maybe. And always here every Sunday from 4 to 6. If you miss any shows or you want to do back shows, just go to the iHeartRadio app. It's free. Download keyword Dr. Wendy. Okay, I got to go. They're wrapping me up. This is the Dr. Wendy Well Show on KFI AM 640. Mo Kelly is next.